Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us in our next segment. It's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Then we are blowing out segments three and four to spend that time with Brian Windhorst. He writes for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. He's covered LeBron James since LeBron was in high school. Is LeBron James now the biggest villain in sports after leaving Cleveland for Miami? And for the way he did it with the decision. We're going to give you some terrific insight into the makeup of LeBron James, the people that surround him, the business of LeBron James. And after we share some of these things with you, you might be able to have some better insight as to why LeBron made the decision that he did. SportsBusinessRadio.com is where you can follow us. Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. We'll be right back. This is SBR. Back with more after this. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines are brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one. NBA owners and players met for three hours on Wednesday on a new collective bargaining agreement without making any progress on the number one issue. That issue, how to split up the revenues. Griggs, right now the NBA players get about 57% of what's called BRI, basketball-related income. Owners are saying, we've lost $400 million this past year. There's a big divide. I wouldn't even call it a divide. I'd call it a gulf 
between what the players say they need and what the owners say they're losing, so they need a complete readjustment of the system. There's going to be more meetings in the future, but I think this is going to get done if it gets done at the 11th hour, and that's next June. And that's a good thing because uh, everybody wants to be on the court. The fans want to be there. The players want to be there. So I think it's good to get it done and get it done quickly. Well, and it's just like we've talked with the NFL. I mean, you're talking about in the NFL, billions of dollars. The NFL is a $9 billion a year industry. Lots of money in the NBA, too. So the fans don't want to hear millionaires and billionaires arguing. They just want it to get settled behind the scenes and get out on the field, get out on the basketball court. Our next headline. Tim Fincham, the commissioner of the PGA, set the stage for the tour's next round of TV negotiations this week. He said that even though Tiger Woods has not won a tournament this year, that TV ratings are down only 2%. Griggs, I'm not buying it for a second. I think ratings are down much more than just 2%. Yeah, totally. I mean, that does not... I mean, I just know... For, I mean, I'm not watching it as much either. So, yeah, 2%, I think that's just kind of a cover to keep people... Oh, we got it covered. Uh, keep watching. Well, and it's to tell the TV networks who he's about to negotiate with. Hey, look, you know, they have the numbers. They know what the raw numbers are. And they know that if Tiger Woods is not playing in tournaments, and if he's not winning tournaments, playing in the last group, that the ratings are are not very good. So to say it's 2% across the board, again, I'm not buying it. Yes, Tiger plays in only 16 of the 47 events approximately each year. The other thing that's really concerning for the PGA is they've got three or four events heading into next year, 2011, that do not have title sponsors. So those events may go away if they don't find title sponsors. And in this economy, we've seen tennis and golf and many other events lose title sponsors. Thus, they've had to go away. Our next headline, this is kind of an interesting one. HBO Sports, who I really, really like. I mean, I loved Hard Knocks. We've talked about that, Griggs. Uh, Real Sports, I think, is a good show. They plan to produce its 24-7 series around the Capitals-Penguins rivalry this winter. So the network's going to debut the four-episode series on December 15th, happens to be my birthday, at 10 p.m. Eastern, and they're going to air the 24-7 episodes running up to the Bridgestone NHL Winter Classic, which features these two teams playing on New Year's Day. That's been a popular game. The game's going to be at Heinz Fields, but you've got Crosby and Ovechkin. Two of the biggest, brightest stars in the NHL. And Griggs, one of my knocks on the NHL is they haven't done things like this to humanize their players, to personalize their players. Now they're doing something like this, and I think it's a really bright idea on their part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's HBO does such a good job on producing these shows. It's only going to really help bring light to these teams. And I, like you said, NHL doesn't do it as much. I think fans are going to eat it up. All right, coming up next... Brian Windhorst, he's covered LeBron James since LeBron was in high school at St. Vincent St. Mary's. And, you know, this guy knows LeBron. He knows his inner circle as well as any journalist out there. He's written a book called The Franchise on LeBron James. He's going to give us some insight as to why LeBron may have made the decision that he made this summer and why he did it the way he did it. Also, we'll talk about the future of the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron James. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi. 
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. What were the terms that got that big deal done? These guys know. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Brian Windhorst. He covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. He's covered the Cavs for several years. You can follow him on Twitter. Great follow on Twitter at PD Cavs Insider. Brian, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you very much, sir. One of the best writers out there. You know, how happy were you? You know, I know it didn't turn out the way Cavs fans wanted, but how many sleepless nights did you have as we were, you know, edging towards free agency and then LeBron making his decision? A lot of pressure on you as a journalist to uh, cover this, I imagine. Well, uh, there was a sense of relief on July 8th when it was over because in a lot of ways it had been a pressing issue on what I cover for well over a year. And then um, that whole first week of July, um, you know, sitting outside buildings and waiting for NBA executives to come out and following LeBron to basketball camps and and spending a lot of time, um, you know, um, trying to interpret things and and making phone calls to sources while waiting for uh, LeBron to finish up a workout and things like that. I was happy when it was just over. But um, being from Akron and living in Cleveland, uh, while I was relieved that it was over, the misery for the city had just begun. So it wasn't something that I could uh, really display. Yeah, you're from Akron. Obviously, LeBron is from Akron. You've known LeBron, had many conversations with him. You've written a book, co-written a book, the franchise about LeBron James. Let's go back to his days in high school. What would you say are the two to three main characteristics about LeBron James, if you had to use a few adjectives, and I'm not talking about on the basketball court, I'm talking about a few adjectives, because, you know, loyalty was one that I think you could have used before this summer. Now, I don't know that you can use that adjective anymore. Well, one thing about LeBron is he was actually quiet and reserved um, when he was in his young years in high school, his first couple of years. Um, he was very much of a follower in the, in the pack of kids who was led by Drew Joyce, um, the little five foot three kid who has gotten a certain amount of notoriety because there was that movie that was that documentary that was done about that about that team it wasn't until LeBron was about 16 um even when he was 15 he, he went through puberty and he and he had um you know like like a lot of us had problems with with acne and he grew his hair out and he was sort of awkward looking at about age 15 16 uh, when he came back for his junior year of high school that was where he really blossomed. It was over that summer, um, you know, when he was 16, that he sort of established himself as a national uh, presence. He sort of figured out that he was what his place was in the world. He had an opportunity to meet a lot of people, meet Michael Jordan for the first time. He had, he had 
begun to mature, he really, for people not believing his age, he really did have a baby face until he was about 16 years old. So there's sort of a transformation just physically and emotionally. He became much more assertive, much more of an ego development, I would say. And some of that was very good on the basketball court. Um, and also, uh, you know, he, he really always was a kid who liked to have fun. You know, he was very much of a loner when he was a kid. He didn't have much family, didn't have many friends, because he moved to school so often he couldn't have that base. And it was really basketball that got him his friends. And, you know, that movie, you know, is very telling about LeBron's character on the basketball court because um, one of the reasons why he, quote-unquote, likes to pass as unselfish as a player um, is because he played basketball with his friends. And at the end of the day, he wanted, to, he wanted to hang out with his friends. So while his ego off the floor into other people grew, he never really had that ego within his own peer group. And that's something that he really had when he was younger. And I think, to a certain extent, it's carried over. Although, he, like I said, we are learning more about LeBron as he gets older here. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You talk about LeBron being a follower. I've been around LeBron a little bit, too, and I was kind of struck with that as well. He likes to follow his friends and uh, not quite as assertive as you would think. And now, look, he's going to Miami. He's following Dwayne Wade. He's there with Chris Bosh. I think we did learn a lot about LeBron this summer that maybe he's not the alpha dog that we thought he was. Well, I think there's another thing that happened in high school that I think is, you know, now with it seems like it's clearly telling. We, I didn't really understand it, uh, how, how could it be impactful until what happened this summer. But when LeBron was, and this is covered in the uh, movie, but when LeBron was uh, 14 years old, he was all set to go to the uh, public high school in his neighborhood, which also happened to be the, the school in Akron that had the best basketball program and had sent numerous uh, players on to high major uh, schools over the years. And um, uh, when Drew Joyce, the, the five foot uh, three uh, little run, kid who was talented but you know undersized but it became obvious he wasn't going to get much of a chance to play there right away it was drew who decided to go to the private school with the coach that he knew and it was lebron who sort of you know uh forsake i guess you could say um a lot of uh, people in that neighborhood who were really looking forward to getting this kid to this high school um and went and decided to join his friends at that private school um to form you know basically an all-star team so there's some comparison there um uh, that, uh, you know, you can see in what he decided to do this summer, where uh, it made all the sense in the world for him to stay home and go to the school that he uh, literally lived down the street from, uh, but instead decided to go uh, controversially, many would say at that time, although on a, on, a, on a fractional scale of what he did now, there were certain people who felt betrayed uh, within, that, within that, uh, that school community. So I think you could trace it back to that and say, you know, he's made a decision like this before. Well, continuing the theme about LeBron liking to surround himself by his friends, whether it's on the court or off the court, he started an agency a few years back, LRMR Marketing. He runs that with his high school buddies. You know, he's out trying to sign other athletes to market them, and they market his deals. That, to me, is another sign. You know, here's a guy that uh, likes being around his friends. Yeah, I think that was, uh, you know a courageous move at the time because he had been uh, very successful with his previous marketing setup. He signed some of the, you know, arguably the biggest endorsement deal in the history of an individual, I would argue, because he signed that deal with Nike for $100 million before Nike even knew what team he was going to play. Forget they'd never played before and that he was 18 years old. Um, that was an incredible deal that uh, Aaron Goodwin negotiated for him. And uh, to have the confidence to, to break off with your friends was an inter interesting decision. Now, the results on that move, 
you know, have been mixed. I think it depends on who you ask. Um, but he's never looked back from that. And one of the things about LeBron, uh, again, I would say for better or worse, depending on, on uh, who you talk to, um, he's never, ever looked back or offered regret on any of the moves he's made. And that was one of the bigger ones. And um, it was, it was uh, really that decision which sort of has led to, uh, you know, his empowerment to take over the control of his career and gave him the confidence to make a controversial move to go to Miami. He, uh, you know, has a history of not regretting something, um, taking the bull by the horns and making a big decision, if you will, and not looking back. And, you know, that's the way he intends to go with this decision. The history will, uh, you know, the future will tell us how history will regard it. Well, if you dissect this a little bit more and you read the tea leaves, you know, LeBron is with CAA as well. CAA not only represents athletes, but they represent some of the biggest names in Hollywood. And if you look about how this deal came down for the decision to be on ESPN, you can, if you really know the business, it's not that shocking that he went this route. I thought it was a very uh, cutthroat, heartless move on LeBron's part, and he listened to the wrong people. But, you know, again, CAA, they represent Hollywood stars. LeBron wants to be one of those Hollywood stars. Was it that surprising to you that he did this on national TV? You know, it was not that surprising because at that point in time, I think that they were under the belief that they could um, take with the situation and totally swing it to their advantage with the interest level. Um, what was surprising to me is when I saw the show come on the air, I could tell within two seconds looking at LeBron, he didn't want to be there. And um, I know people can say, you know, LeBron would probably deny that. And um, people can say, well, how do you know? Um, but the Frank, you know, it, once you've known LeBron for 10 years, like I have, uh, I could just tell by looking at him, he wasn't comfortable. So I, I wonder... Uh, regardless of how he would sell it, uh, how much on board with it he really was. I, I, that's one of those things you'd love to know, but you're probably never going to get the answer uh, for it. Um, but what really shocked me was when I sort of did some, some uh, talking to some people about it, one of the reasons why they wanted to do that show, their idea was they based it on uh, what Tiger Woods had done when he came out, I think it was in uh, February or whenever it was when he came and sort of held that, uh, that, that, that special where he sort of was able to control the whole situation and control the questions. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to take questions, but he was able to get a giant audience. And um, I think they, they really liked that. They said, boy, look at this. He doesn't, he, he, here's a guy holding a quasi-press conference, getting huge ratings, where he doesn't actually have to deal with uh, the press. And um, so those of us who work in the media uh, aren't going to like hearing that. Um, so it's sort of difficult to get an opinion of us, but I, I find it surprising that somebody would look at Tiger Woods and how Tiger Woods has handled public relations and say, you know what, let's mimic uh, what Tiger's doing, but let's not just mimic it, let's try to make some money off of it in some way, and, um, which you know, opens you up to a whole, uh, you know, another can of worms, regardless of whether you can spin it that it's for charity or not. Um, so, uh, you know, in general, I feel like uh, I, understand their, I understand their reasoning, I understand... Uh, uh, why they uh, thought they could get away with it. And to a certain extent, I think they feel in, empowered because the, 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 the event got such high ratings. But um, I would argue that um, they didn't consider the long-term damage and their motives uh, may not have been uh, the smartest. Yeah, I mean, Brian, I do PR, as you know, and I wouldn't, I, 
I would say this was one of the worst decisions I've seen. And to try and mimic what Tiger had done, first of all, Tiger was dealing with a crisis. Second of all, you know, it got panned how he did it. I mean, Saturday Night Live could have done the, you know, the mockery with the blue drape behind Tiger. Totally different situation. I mean, here LeBron supposedly is sharing exciting news for his career. He's not in crises. So that's a different story altogether. But yeah, I was really shocked because, you know, if you're going to hold a press conference to basically rip the heart out of people who live in Ohio, your home state, you could have done it in so many other ways. You could have put out a statement. It could have been a press release. Uh, Your agent could have said something. Why would you do it in that manner if you knew you were delivering bad news to so many of your loyal followers? Yeah, I just, I I think it was tone deaf. And I think actually a lot of the stuff that LeBron was sort of making decisions about at that time were tone deaf because, um, um, you know, I don't know if it was because he didn't care or if he wasn't um, you know, if, if he didn't understand or, did he, or if he just didn't care. And that would be interesting to find out because if he didn't care, that would be, that would be, that would be a whole different uh, situation. I think what has happened, though, is he's really torpedoed his chances of making his marketing company into something uh, special because I really do think on a certain level it's a pretty good idea because I think athletes would, would, be, would be attracted to a marketing company that was run by a powerful athlete. And... Um, uh, while some of their successes as a marketing company are circumstantial, they did have some victories that they could claim. I mean, they, they were doing some things uh, that nobody else had done, and uh, they, they were able to, uh, you know, sort of create this uh, ability with CAA to attract some top players to have CAA handle the contracts and the bronze group to handle the marketing. But they basically had one client, um, and that's LeBron. I mean, I know they signed some other guys, but their only client of note was LeBron, and they, you know, you know, whoever you want to credit with the decision, um, ha- made a series of events that have uh, possibly irreparably damaged his marketing future. Certainly damaged uh, greatly his marketing future in the in the uh, in the short term. And uh, you know, I don't know how you put that on your resume and attract other athletes. Um, and I think, from a business standpoint, uh, that really made it a disaster. Um, you know, and then obviously from a public relations standpoint, as the as the Q scores and just general. Um, you know, you know, paying attention. Um, I think um, you know that hurt him very. You know, that hurt him from a PR standpoint as well. Though I do believe he can recover from all that. I just don't know whether, from a marketing standpoint, he can honestly go pitch his company and say, "We'll make good decisions and make good things by you." When the decisions that they made, you know, really damaged his marketing, in, in my opinion. The public definitely pays attention to polarizing athletes, whether it's a Barry Bonds or a Mike Vick, whoever it may be. Do you think, and, and you know, we talked about Q ratings last week on this show, 77% disapproval rating now for LeBron in the Q ratings. Do you think LeBron has become one of the biggest villains in sports? Uh, I think he's going to be a short-term villain because he's just so darn good. But if you look at those other people that scored very low, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, Kobe Bryant, you know, those are some of the greatest champions of this era. And uh, as those Q-score ratings proved, even though Kobe's come back and won two titles, and not only that, has become more of a team player in the, in the process, he apparently has not completely recovered uh, from what happened with that uh, incident in Colorado. And if you look at Tiger Woods, uh, I think there's a chance he may not recover, even if he comes back and, and has, uh, you, know, you know, surpasses Jack Nicklaus. Uh, uh, I do think that um, the one thing about sports is 
uh, America loves winners more than anything. And um, if if uh, if LeBron is able to be, turn the Heat into a great team and, and get championships and able to do it with great play, I do think he will recover to a certain extent. But I think as those Q scores show, um, there is certain damage that is unrepairable. And whether or not this damage is unrepairable, it is yet to be seen. More of my conversation with Brian Windhorse coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. McDonald's took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like the Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off white Lexus. Driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out there best I home of that boy Biggie. Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me. Say what up to Tata, still sipping my top. Sitting courtside, Nick's and Nets give me high five. I be spiked out, I can trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Now back to my conversation with Brian Windhorst of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Brian, at what point did you have some inkling that LeBron may be leaving Cleveland? And I'll base this question, you know, I talk to a lot of people, obviously, and I've had Dan Gilbert on this show. I talk to people at Nike. I talk to a lot of other people. And I had a conversation with some people in late May, and I had been saying all along, there's no way LeBron leaves the seventh year and that kind of money on the table. He's a loyal guy. His friends are from there. He's got his house he just built in Akron. He's staying. But after these conversations, I changed my opinion. I tweeted about it. I talked about it on this show. That was my first inkling. I didn't know where he was going, but I thought he was going to leave Cleveland. At what point did you think, wow, LeBron may be leaving Cleveland? Well, my first inkling was the way he ended the season, where he, he really really didn't put forth much of a LeBron effort in that playoff series. And then sort of the statements that he made after the series was over, and really just the um, his whole attitude during the whole series. Some of the some of the things he said, some of the things he did were, were very out of character for him. And then I really became sort of the needle sort of moved really for me when he wouldn't even get involved at all in the Cavs coaching search. I mean, that was a really important hire. Uh, who are you going to hire to be your coach? And LeBron would just patently refuse to talk to any of the candidates. Now, it's one thing if you're not going to do about it publicly, you're not going to make public comment, but it, it became pretty obvious that LeBron refused to even take Tom Izzo's phone calls. Now, we're not talking about some um, third-rate assistant who uh, he was, he was from the D-League there interviewing. We're talking about Tom Izzo, uh, a man who, is, uh, who demands respect 
Uh, and if he can't get you on the phone, you're obviously not invested in what's going on. And then I became 100% when, he, when, when they announced plans to, um, to have that television show. Some people perceived it as, well, you know, you're not going to go on national television to, to divorce your hometown. Um, whereas, I, you know, knowing how they wanted to make a marketing splash, there's no way they would go on national television to announce their staying. That's not, you know, hard enough news to, uh, to do what they were trying to pull off. So uh, that was the way I saw it. Um, I kind of felt like in April, towards the end of the season, that there were all kinds of signs everywhere that LeBron was settling to stay here. I mean, certainly things were going well for the Cavaliers. That's why uh, I'm not uh, a big believer in the whole conspiracy theory that this move was planned for years and years and years. I believe they, the three guys got together and said, let's make it a possibility and talk about it at that time. But I don't believe that they all got together three years ago and said, hey, we're going to play together. Just because I saw sort of the, the transition, uh, you know, and in April I would have put, you know, hard money down on LeBron re-signing. Um, but by, by mid-June I would, have, I would have gone the other way. The franchise value of the Cleveland Cavaliers increased dramatically once they drafted LeBron James and everything he meant for that business. Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, bent over backwards to provide LeBron with everything he wanted. And obviously, when LeBron said he was leaving, Dan Gilbert wrote a very emotional letter that came out that evening. He says he has no regrets about that letter. You know, I look at Dan Gilbert and I say, on part of me feels bad for him that LeBron left him and has really hurt his business, but the other part of me says, you know what, Dan Gilbert enabled LeBron and kind of turned him into this monster, and LeBron got too big, and then LeBron left and left Dan Gilbert holding the bag. What's your thoughts on the relationship between LeBron and Dan Gilbert? You know, I've, I've talked with Dan about this, and um, I said to him, you know, looking back and knowing what you did now, um, do you regret any move that you made over the last um, over the last uh, three years? And um, you know, he certainly said that he regretted um, uh, you know giving LeBron so much uh, so much uh, you know power within the organization and not demanding uh, more accountability. Um, but um, you know, I think that he doesn't regret the way he he um, he operated with the team, with the way he. Um, uh, you know, surrounded LeBron with as much talent as he possibly could. The way he um, was able to, um, you know, make the Cavs into one of the best regular season teams in the league over the last couple of years. It didn't work out ultimately, and um, they ended up uh, really holding the bag. But I don't think Dan Gilbert regrets the way he made most of his decisions. And when it comes to that letter, I know that Dan Gilbert doesn't regret writing it. He may regret the some of the words he chose to put in order. He was trying at that point to appeal to his fan base and not lose his fans. And, um, uh, you know, it's a complicated situation. I, I really think that part of it all came down to timing. If Dan Gilbert had bought the team a year earlier or a year later, it might have been different. But when Dan Gilbert bought the Cavaliers, it was happening at the exact same moment that LeBron was sort of uh, firing his agent and, and bringing his uh, friends into power. And Dan Gilbert uh, was both advised and witnessed that, um, if you're going to have a positive relationship with LeBron, you have to recognize his friends as um, as people who are are to be treated seriously and to and to be favored, quite frankly. And that treatment um, got LeBron to re-sign with the team. Now, it ultimately was to re-sign with the team for a shorter term than everybody wanted from the, in the organization, but um, there was a lot of success in that relationship. It only 
seemed like it went soured at the other end. This is what I say um, to Cavs fans who complain about LeBron now. Even the Cavs organization itself will, will mumble about things they didn't like. Everybody there was ready to sign up for another contract with LeBron. Whatever issues they had, they were ready to continue them. They would have gladly taken a six years if LeBron was willing to give it to them, but even if he was only going to give them three again, they would have gladly taken his signature. So uh, it wasn't as dysfunctional as everybody says. LeBron made up his mind. I think that the organization um, you know, ultimately uh, did what it felt like it had to do on a daily and yearly basis. Um, they, didn't, they, don't have the, uh, they didn't have the... Um, the, the ability to, to take the, the perspective and the hindsight. They were trying to uh, do what was best for them each year, and you know ultimately that didn't work, and, and maybe it's a learning experience for not just the Cavs, but for for uh, teams across the league when it comes to dealing with superstars in the future. Yeah, I mean, LeBron was the goose that laid the golden eggs. Of course you were going to sign up for whatever he wanted because he was good for business. What I wonder is, while Dan Gilbert, yes, defended his loyal fans, I wonder if there's going to be players in the future that say, you know what, I watched how Dan Gilbert threw LeBron under the bus in a very public way. I don't want to go play for an owner like that. And it's already hard enough, Brian, you know, to get free agents to come to Cleveland. I mean, if LeBron could have gotten Chris Bosh and some other free agents to come to Cleveland in the first place, he might still be there, right? Yeah, I mean, here's what I'd say to that. And, and, and there's already a great case in point. Um Money is always going to talk, and um, in uh, that night, uh, there, obviously there was a lot of players who reacted, and, and I think the tone of the letter was a mistake because it sort of gave people uh, a reason to, to sort of have sympathy for LeBron, um, when um, the reality was that that wasn't what Dan Gilbert was trying to do. He was trying to, um, uh, you know, retain his fans. But that night, uh, there was a free agent named Kyle Lowry who uh, plays for the uh, uh, Houston Rockets, who tweeted on his uh, Twitter page, oh, boy, can you believe this Cavs owner? Uh, wow, you know, something along the lines of, you know, uh, anti-Gilbert. Uh, and then within four or five days, uh, Kyle Lowry signed an offer sheet with the Cavaliers uh, for $24 million. Now, <laughs> Rockets ended up matching it. But my, but my point there is is that uh, money, money talks. Um, and uh, when a player needs to sign... A contract, um, he's going to take whichever team offers him the most money. Now, when it comes to signing free agents in Cleveland, um, Cleveland is still going to be Cleveland. And the one thing that you know you, you mentioned, Brian, you're right, is that LeBron could not attract free agents here. Um, even mid-level free agents like Trevor Ariza last year took basically the same contract offer in Houston than they were offering in Cleveland, which was a better team, because he didn't want to live in Cleveland. And um, ultimately, that's not going to change. And LeBron couldn't even change that. Um, so uh, I don't think uh, Dan Gilbert's letter had as much damaging impact in the future as some may, may say. What it did was is it, is it turned the, the, the tone a little bit more into LeBron's favor. It gave some people who were looking for a reason to support LeBron, it gave them sort of that to hang on to. And, and, I, and if, I were, if I were counseling Dan Gilbert, which I, which I certainly do, I do not and would not, but if I were, um, I would say when LeBron comes back, um, you know, in, in December, uh, you know, maybe you should go light on it and just let the fans have their say, but don't, um, you know, really pile on because that is, that is an opportunity to show uh, maybe some respect that you didn't show um, towards a player, um, you know, over the summer. But, um, I, you know, I ultimately think that if, if, if there's two players, uh, two teams bidding for the same player and the Cavs offer more money, more than likely uh, they're not going to worry about what Dan Gilbert wrote in the letter. They're going to take the money. 
Just a few minutes left with Brian Windhorst. He covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Brian, okay, look into your crystal ball. What happens to the Cavaliers going forward? They've lost the face of their franchise. They've got Byron Scott on board as their new coach. Uh, Dan Gilbert has said, we're going to win a championship before LeBron does in Miami. What happens with Cleveland going forward? I'd say, uh, that was the, probably the biggest mistake of the whole letter. Um, you know, we have to talk about reality here. The reality is, in a place like Cleveland, in, in, in a, you know, even in a place like Detroit, a place like Milwaukee, a place like San Antonio, a place like Utah, when you're going to when you're going to get great players, you're going to get them through the draft. If you look at the great players that played on those teams uh, over the course of the history, it's guys who were drafted there. You know, the Jazz drafted Stockton and Malone. The um, the Spurs drafted Tim Duncan and David Robinson. Um, the Cavaliers drafted uh, LeBron James. And most of the time, um, you know, even with uh, with Kobe Bryant, you know, they drafted. You know, the Lakers essentially drafted Kobe Bryant. They got him through the draft. So, essentially, you're going to have to improve your team, especially in a small market, through the draft. You can't do it by signing, uh, trying to sign uh, free agents because you're never going to get the top guys, especially if, they have an, especially if they have a choice. Very few people are going to choose to come to a place like Cleveland, Utah, or San Antonio. Um, so the Cavs really have to take, in my opinion, more of a long-term approach and try to rebuild through the draft. Uh, and that probably means getting worse before getting better, which is not what Dan Gilbert uh, sounded like he, was, he wanted to do back in July. So at some point, I believe, to be healthy, uh, Dan Gilbert's going to have to swallow his pride, um, and they're going to have to probably build this in a slow way, the way they built this team. But in all reality, unless you've got anomalies, um, you know, like a team like the Spurs, you know, every team, uh, once every decade, is going to have to rebuild. I mean, even the Lakers, to get where they are now, um, had a first-round exit and missed the playoffs for a year. And that, that got them Andrew Bynum, and then it, it took a great trade to get Paul Gasol. Every team's got to rebuild. Um, you know, it, it's only it's very rare that a team is going to be very good for a whole decade. And the Cavs had five really good years, um, you know, seven years with LeBron, and now they're going to have to to, uh, to retrofit themselves. And that's just uh, the part of professional sports. And if you're in a place like Cleveland, uh, especially in a salary cap environment, you know, you're probably going to have, to go through the draft, but sort of the the X factor in this whole thing, and I don't, and what people have to understand about Dan Gilbert is he took the approval rating with LeBron here and, and got it turned into a casino initiative in downtown Cleveland, and he's building a casino across the street from the arena, basically that he got passed after many failures because uh, everybody liked the way he was running the team, and uh, there's going to be a walkway right from the casino into the arena, so it behooves Dan Gilbert when that casino opens in a couple of years, to have 20,000 people coming down 40 times a year because they're going to have access, especially in that winter, to the casino that's going to be across the street. And that may play into his decision-making, too, that you know you may not need to have a championship team, but if you have a good team that can draw people downtown, that can feed what may be his bigger money-making business, and that all, that all plays into this, too. And um, you know that letter, while he was panned nationally, and probably for good reason, uh, there's a lot of people in Cleveland, a lot of people who buy Cavs tickets, and a lot of people who will eventually visit that casino who thought it was a great, uh, you know, you know, it sort of it sort of empowered them. And um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Dan Gilbert continues to try to stay on their good side by making more short-term moves to try to keep the team as competitive as possible. Interesting. Last question. Uh, when I talk to someone who is very, very close, is very close to LeBron in late May, 
They told me the advice they gave to LeBron is only leave Cleveland if you feel like you can win five titles in the next seven years. Obviously, LeBron feels like he can win five titles in the next seven years in Miami with Wade, Bosch, and, and company. Look into your crystal ball. How do you think this turns out for LeBron? Because as you said earlier in the interview, LeBron's ultimately going to be measured by is he a champion or is he not a champion? Well, I think this is one of the most intriguing teams in the history of the NBA. They may have some of the best talent. They probably have the most sheer talent um, as any team in the last 20 years. I mean, you could get an argument with that, but certainly it's an argument. Um, I think they have a chance to be great. Uh, I think it may take them a year to figure out each other's characters, to figure out how to play with each other, and maybe to add a couple of pieces. Um, you know, even the Celtics that brought all those that, that brought all those pieces together and did it in one year. You know, they they also had some key role players that, that played a role in that team right away. I don't necessarily know if the Heat have that yet, but um, they could. Um, what I would say about LeBron is, if you're if you're just going to be a general NBA fan and you're a general LeBron fan, I think the key is you don't forget that LeBron left Cleveland. And you certainly understand why he left because, you know, it is not Paris and it's an opportunity to, to play with, with two of the best players in the game today. I think you, you try to forget how he left Cleveland. Um, and, you know, if you're an average NBA fan, I don't see how you can not really, really want to see how this Heat, heat play together. And even if you want to root against them, uh, I don't see how you can't watch to see how they play so that you can, so that you can root against them. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating story. Um, I do think there's going to be as much or more pressure on LeBron now, even though he's got more help than he's ever had. Now they don't have that excuse that it was his supporting cast. In my opinion, I think his supporting cast was pretty darn good the last couple of years. Were they better than the Lakers? You know, maybe not. But they were pretty darn good, and I feel like that was always a crutch that LeBron could, you know, didn't even have to say, well, his team stinks. Well, that's not going to be the case anymore. And so to a certain extent, LeBron's got the best team he's ever played on, but he's also going to have the most pressure. And he had a heck of a lot of pressure in the spring when he was playing with the Cavs at the end of that contract, and he did not respond well to that pressure. So to me, we're going to learn a lot about how LeBron can play with this sort of stuff this year. And uh, this is what I told members of the Miami Heat. And I, I talked to some of the people in their franchise after they signed him, and I said, listen, for every penny of trouble that LeBron gives you, He's worth a dollar in return, and I do think that ultimately uh, that's the way it's going to play out if, if LeBron continues to, to follow his career path. Brian Windhorst, he covers the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Again, one of the best journalists we have out there. Follow him on Twitter, at Insider. Brian, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, let's do it again soon. Thanks a lot, Brian. Take care. Thank you, too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience? It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even though you don't think 
there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention? You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody. You get to know them pretty well. We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS. What we want is for the best two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or or what's bad for the BCS. Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, we had a terrific event here in Portland, Oregon with Major League Soccer Commissioner Don Garber this week. He shared his insights with us, and I want to thank him and all the people at Major League Soccer and the Portland Timbers for a terrific event, and also thank Adidas for presenting the event for us. We'll have more news on future sports business executive events that we're hosting here and hopefully in other cities coming up, and you can find that information on sportsbusinessradio.com. Also want to let you know, next week on the show, Mike Rich, who's a good friend of mine, he's from here in Portland, Oregon, used to be a radio personality. Now he's one of the hottest screenwriters in Hollywood, and he wrote the screenplay for Secretariat, which hits theaters October 8th. There's never been a movie done on the life of Secretariat. Uh, The owner played by Diane Lane in the movie, The Trainer, played by John Malkovich. Really good movie. And I want to get into the movie industry. We haven't done that in the last six years on Sports Business Radio. So here's someone who lives and breathes the movie industry, wrote this screenplay. We're going to break it down with Mike Ridge, who wrote Secretariat on our show next week. You'll definitely want to make sure to stay tuned to that. I want to thank Brian Windhorst of the Cleveland Plain Dealer for joining us to talk about LeBron James and the future of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Excellent conversation. You can find that conversation online at sportsbusinessradio.com or on iTunes. Thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Businessradio.com, click on the podcast page or click on the iTunes link. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy your week and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.